Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. If you're in the mood for a sweet baseball cap like I know Sean is, go to marketing at axontire.com and they'll be sure to get you one. Just send your details to marketing at axontire.com. Make sure the Moving Iron Podcast. Uh, make sure you tell them the Moving Iron Podcast sent you, and uh, they'll send that to you in the mail. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your farm equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. Go online to apply at agdirect.com and learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he is kind enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing super good, super good. Freshly back from Iowa. So. Right on there. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. So you were in uh, was it Des Moines? Is that where you went to? Yeah. Did you have a chance to kind of see any, any of the thing going on out there? Did you see a lot of stuff moving around, or were you pretty well stuck in the middle it of the was, city? It, it was cold. I mean, every, I mean, where I where I did travel around, it was just cold and wet. You know, it was just uh, nothing was happening. Yeah, very. Uh, you know, it was quite frankly, it was just miserable. It felt like it felt like Ireland weather for goodness' sake. It was really yeah. uh, not the kind of weather you want to go out and get planting, uh, rocking and rolling. So not much happening, at least when I was there. Yeah. So okay, well, that pretty well indicates what the crop progress report is reporting right now. Um, so, uh, crop progress report and uh, condition reports came out yesterday, and they, um, I'm looking at them here, kind of what they summed up from last week. So, corn, 14% planted, 33% is a five-year average, and you've got about a 3% emergent rate right now, which 6% is the average. Soybeans are 8% planted, 13% on the average. Spring wheat is uh, 19% planted, 28% on average, and then you've got 5% emergence. Winter wheat... 23% headed, 29% average, 27% of that is rated good to excellent, so wheat's still struggling. Um, last week it was rated at 27% as well, and cotton is 16% planted, and they're ahead of the f- uh, five-year average by 1%. So I guess as you take a look at what's going on there, I mean, there's a, a lot of things happen here in Nebraska. We got uh, 
especially my neck of the woods, we got about two two inches of moisture, which was greatly needed. We got another chance, I think two more chances this week for some rain yep. to come our way. So that's going to be a big deal for us. Um, but if you take a look at um, what's going on in the, uh, the the heart of the wheat belt, Kansas and, and Oklahoma, uh, west in the uh, you know western Texas and the Texas Panhandle, it's going to be a, a struggle. They need this this rain event. It's supposed to come. They need this rain event to make the wheat. If they did it, they're going to be they're going to be okay. Um, if they don't get it, well then. You know, well, if the West can get, if if the West can get this rain event, if it delivers. You know, it, it's, you know, you're not going to have a, you know, top end rip roaring crop, but it definitely will take the worst case scenario off the table for the Western Casey wheat belt. And um, we'll see, yeah. you know, the miles were all, uh, all blaze of glory over the weekend that was coming. Uh, and now they've backed off the rain. Some They're still think it's going to come, but not, maybe not as much. So as anything else, we have to just see what actually happens here, but uh, that'll be a, have a lot to do with whether this, correction on friday in um in kc wheat you know was just a uh um you know a, a mistake by the market or 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 was that a permanent weather premium taking off and then we just have to see how bad is the crop from here um you know with crop tours and combine results and that sort of thing so so definitely that rain event later this week is extremely important as to whether we put weather premium back on kc wheat or the weather market's over yeah. So, okay. So on corn, um, you know, we have our uh, weather delays we're talking about now. We've talked to plenty of people in Iowa and Illinois, friends of mine that have that have all said, you know, not much is happening here. And, and obviously, as you see from the uh, the uh, uh, crop progress reports, that there's not there's not a lot going on there. Um, take a look what's going on in Brazil. The uh, second crop corn down there in uh, Safrina, especially where they haven't had any rain for. 30 to 50 days, depending on where they're at, is, is really starting to, to weigh pretty heavy on that. They have, consultants have backed off the forecast by 5 million metric tons to, one, to 107 million metric tons from that crop. The rest of the area looks pretty pretty decent, but still not going to be enough to make up what uh, what they see there as far as uh, crop loss will be, or yield loss will be um, in that area. So couple that together, Sean, and some of the stuff we've been talking about is getting to be more... Um, Little, little more uh, clear picture, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we there is going to be a big warm up um, in a lot of the corn belt areas next week, not this week, and it's been part of our forecast for a long time that once we got beyond mid, uh, early May, we'd finally get the finally get the warm up. But we're going to see that, and you know, when you warm up, at least the, the cold soil temperature issue goes away. You are able to have greater evaporation uh, rates, and there will be some. The planting will ex, will there'll be some movement next week. You know, we'll have, you know, now the question is how much versus what's expected, but I mean, we're going to make some progress next week in terms of corn. You know, they, we've talked about that the crop ha- uh, production needed to come down. Uh, we think the number based upon what we've already seen, what we think we're going to continue to see for the rest of pollination. We think we're going to come down to hundred millimetric tons. We think that's more what, where the number is going to wind up. Now, what, by the way, last year was 85. So let's let's keep this in perspective. It's a big rebound from last year. The last year was a, was a catastrophe. Okay, but it's way down. You know, from the 110, 115 we were supposed to have at a time when the market is hypersensitive over tight ending stocks. You know that that that's a feature that keeps the corn market um, a bit in the corn market for now. So 
uh, I, I would, I still feel Casey that um, when you look at the overall planning situation, when you look at, at the second crop corner Brazil, and then you look at what exactly is going to happen with the Ukraine corn crop. I think most of all of that will get priced in here by the middle, a lot of part of May. You know, we can argue what that price is, but whatever it is, I think that's going to set a high watermark for a while. And then we just got to get through the, you know, the growing season. It's too hot, too dry. You know, you get a weather scare, right? Typical side of thing. But I, I do think, you know, mid late May, we're going to price it all in, and then it, and then the car market's going to have a hard time making new highs without a really serious weather problem that becomes a, a crop problem. Of course, every year you get a scare, but we don't believe this is the year for the crop problem. We think it's just a weather scare. You get a, a, a couple of weeks of, you know, everyone's worried, and then it goes away, and we have good crops. That's that's what we're expected to see, um, and so we think this this May high could be you know, it could be the high watermark for the year as possible on the corn market. You know, that's, that's, that's been our expectation for a while. And we, uh, the question now is, you know, what is that number? You know, is it nine? Is it eight and a half? Is it nine and a half? You know, looking at old crop, new crop. I mean, that's what we're going to be trying to hone in on over the next two to three weeks is what, what should that price be? So. Okay. All right. We've talked a little bit about, um, you know, Southeast Asia, Asia in general, uh, and, and kind of talked about, you know they've had a, a pretty decent crop with with wheat and with rice um, over the last couple of years. You know they've got their their bins are full, uh, but there are some reports out there where they're starting to let in a few um, a few countries are starting to let in um, for a short amount of time just some imports of of various grains uh, for animal feed. So uh, they're keeping their stocks obviously for for human consumption. So I guess as you read through that, Sean, what, what's your uh, what's your take on those those situations there? Well, we've talked about this. You know, rice is mispriced relative to corn, relative to wheat. It's mis- whether as a feed item or whether as a human consumed item, it's as cheap as it's been in 45 years. So when something's too cheap, the demand finds a way to use it. So it's going to use it. So, you know, we all like to think that, you know, China and Vietnam and Thailand and India, they have these perfect, beautiful, gorgeous storage facilities that keep the crap in good shape and keep the supplies in good shape. But of course that's not the case. There's a lot of rice that spoils or degrades to the point where you really cannot use it for human consumption. Um, and so what there's, what, what the market's now saying is I don't want to pay $8 corn. I don't want to pay, you know, for all these high feed prices. So we, but we do have some very cheap, uh, uh, lower quality rice supplies that we can use for feed. Um, and we're going to do that. And so, so we're seeing that happen. And of course, you know, on, on the human consumption side, you know, everyone is trying to stockpile as much quality rice as they can because, you know, no one really knows what the accessibility or the availability or, or what's going to really happen with uh, the wheat market going forward. But at this point, with as cheap as rice is, the demand is going to keep. There's a certain amount, Casey, of, of available cheap feed quality rice in human quality rice that's available for sale, the market's going to just take it off the market. It's going to take it off. And once it does, this price distortion between rice corn and rice wheat is going to evaporate. and We're going to see rice get back into a normal price relationship. Um, and I don't think it's going to take very long for the demand to just do that. They're not going to let rice stay this cheap. So um, that's all part of something, we, you know, stuff we've talked about in, in past uh, 
uh, podcast with you, and we've been talking about in our reports that rice is, you know, is is in a demand-driven uh, market right now that has to reprice itself. Um, and then on top of that, but given that rice consumes more fertilizer per acre than any other crop in the world, and without significant um, application of fertilizer, the yields that Asia has been afforded cannot be achieved. And so there's a big question, uh, how much of the Asian uh, uh, planted acreage is going to get the normal uh, fertilizer applications? You know, I, I don't have an answer for you, but it's not going to be 100%. It's going to be something considerably less. I think it was that the International Rice Foundation came out with a study that suggested that they thought uh, crop production could be down between 10 and 15 percent on their view of what would be a, a lower fertilizer usage. You know, I don't know if they're right or wrong, other than to say, I think they're directionally they're heading in the right direction, even if weather is good. Now, if weather turns sour, you know, as you know, where our view is over the next year to two years, we're moving more towards an El Nino pattern, which means more drought in Asia. That we just see a big problem with that, and. Um, and so I still feel rice is the market to watch in terms of a market that has, uh, in fact, if you start, we've, uh, we've started to see Thailand prices spike and we've started to see Vietnam prices spike just in the last couple of weeks um, after being uh, you know, flatlined at a low level. So something is starting to change with this low line, you know, supply and the demand coming forward. So um, it's the only thing that's been keeping the food crisis from really blowing itself out. So I would continue to keep eyes on the rice market as a, as a, as a real benchmark for when could this, uh, the fear over food shortages reach a, a higher level and, um, and, and reach a more uh, what I would call humanitarian uh, situation. Because humanitarian-wise, if rice becomes un, un, unavailable or uneconomical, you, know, you have half the population that's going to start moving into panic mode. So, All right. Let's talk about um, cattle and hogs here for just a minute. Uh, let's start with hogs. Um, there is a bit of a, a slide there that we're seeing with hogs. I guess we'll talk about what you see happening there in, in this uh, in this contract uh, month here. Hog market absolutely obliterated. Yeah. I was trying to be nice, Sean. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> No, I mean, let, let's call for it. It got completely annihilated. Yep. I mean, I think it was down 14 last week for the whole week. I mean, you don't see the hog price down uh, that much. Um, and and it, this week, it's been got crushed again. Yeah. Um, I, I think the lockdowns in China, which are now now past 30 days and are not showing any signs of abatement, I think that that's starting to have an impact on the hog market. I think that, you know, the the view was, oh, it's going to be just a sh short-term thing. And, but but now, you know, no one, now it's, it's just, there's nothing that's suggesting this is not going to go on for another month. And, you know, we've been adding weights to the uh, hogs because the hogs had a pretty good price rise, became profitable. The uh, the hog producer said, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll, even though feed prices are high, I can fatten them up and it, it still works for me. But I think there's worry that, you know, that this lack of Chinese demand for U.S. pork could be, you know, it, it, it could be extended for much longer than the market was anticipating. And um, and we've seen, you know, pork cutouts come down here. It's just, it seems like there's, a, there's some demand worries coming in, despite the fact that the animal feeding units are still low in the U.S. I just, you know, short term, 
it seems like that the, the demand fears have kicked the, the, the hog market in the chin here. I will say this, though. Uh, you know, <clears throat> there's the short term and there's the intermediate term. The intermediate term, the hog price in China has finally started to turn up after eight months being extremely... In fact, it's been eight months where there's not a single hog producer in China's made any money. It's been that depressed. But we're starting to see the price go up, which is suggesting that the herd liquidation due to African swine fever there is finally subsiding and that the prices are finally going to get to a point where whoever's left in the hog business in China can now start making some money, which then would mean that the supply of pork is going to start to shrink, which means at some point they will come back for the pork. And remember, I, you know, I don't think they're going to be shut down forever, Casey. Right. <laughs> They're going to reopen. You know, we, we can argue is it you know two weeks from now is it? But I would argue late summer, let's say by August onward, I'm pretty confident they're going to be fully back open again, just as their pork, their domestic pork production is going to be falling because of the uh, desire to rebuild the herd again. So there's a there could be a big whipsaw later in the year in the hog price after we get through this demand air pocket that we're in right now. So. You know, there you have it. I mean, it's it's a situation of short-term demand worries, but I would not lose sight of the fact. I don't think this is a long-term permanent issue. I just think it's a short-term air pocket. But we are. I think we could see some pretty exciting rebound in prices. Let's say from the August price contract onward. So, gotcha. All right, man. So let's take a minute look over at the uh, beef complex. Uh, box beef prices have really firmed up here um, over this last week, moving in through this week. And as you take a look at what's going on there, uh, we are heading into that, that grilling season. You know, we're going into that Memorial Day weekend, people getting more outside. Obviously, depending on where you're at, the weather may not feel like spring, but it is spring. So I guess as you take a look at that, what's your thoughts there? The cattle market has been battling bearish headwinds all year. Uh, the d demand worries that we just talked about, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the slowing economy, um, the herd liquidation that's been ongoing due to the, uh, you know, the, the extension of the western drought. Although, although, although some areas are starting to get some rains, like Nebraska, and you know, but I mean, we're starting. But you know, and of course, the high feed price. I mean, everything that could go wrong for the cattle market that that would lead into a final herd liquidation event has occurred. But yet, the demand has still been strong enough that we've yeah we've had a softening of of cattle prices, but it hasn't been a crash. We haven't seen that. You know, just it, it's been a a, a declining market, but it's, we've been able to absorb this very strong herd liquidation. What happens when all these cycles reverse, when the corn market tops out, if we're correct, later this month? What happens if the El Nino continues to develop and we get much, much more rain all out west and the drought kind of eases and the pasture growth kicks in and the hay growth kicks in and all of a sudden the feed price comes down? You know, what happens when... Um, China reopens later this year, as we just talked yeah. about the hog market, and they print money and they stimulate, and you know, and, and they're going to be wanting a whole lot more beef at a time that we're going to be doing everything we can to retain these animals and, and look to actually rebuild the herd for the first time in three years. You know, I, I, I think you know, we're setting up for a 13, 14 kind of price cycle for cattle. Um, so as frustrating and as disappointing as the first half of 2022 has been for the the cattle producer, he's just can't, every time it looks like he's, he just can't seem to get himself into a really profitable situation. I do think 
once again, from that August onward, from all these factors coming together into 2023, we could be looking at a pretty exciting period for the cattle producer to finally get his day to, you know, bring some money back home on the, on the farm. So, so while the grain business, I kind of think we're looking in the rearview mirror in terms of the best prices, I th still think in the livestock sector, we're still looking at the best prices ahead. And, you know, in order to have a healthy ag industry, you need to have both sides make money from time to time. Right. You can't, you can't have the hog, the, the livestock guys losing money constantly because at some point you're going to lose your demand. And at some point, you know, the, the, the grain guys have had a good go of it. I think it's time to hand the baton off and let the livestock guys have a good go with it. So that's kind of where we feel we are. We're at this point. We're ready to shift gears and give them some of the money towards the livestock producer later this year in the 23. Right on. So. All right, Sean. Hey, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots and lots of information on there to go over how we look at things with weather, with capital flows to see if we could be of some value. Right on. Well, thanks for being on the podcast this morning, Sean. Always a pleasure, Casey. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm really uh, honored to be on your show. And I really think that, uh, you know, you, you're doing a lot of good for a lot of people, and I think you're beginning to, to get noticed as such. So congratulations on that. Well, so. thanks, Sean. I couldn't have done it without all the, all the stuff you come in there because in case you haven't figured this out yet, I'm just along for the ride. Guys like you are, are the ones towing the, towing the card here, so I appreciate, appreciate the fact of what you're doing there. So I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions for the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to uh, movingironllc.com for all things Moving Iron related. Moving Iron Summit's coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. That'll be in uh, downtown at the Hilton there downtown, and uh, all the information for that is on the website as well. Make sure you check out my LinkedIn page, uh, Moving Iron Podcast, and also check out the, uh, the YouTube channel, uh, Moving Iron Podcast. Check that out, and uh, I, need some, I need some subscribers over there. So if you like what, like what I'm doing here, Go, go and subscribe to, to my channel, and uh, I would greatly appreciate that. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century.